Welcome to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhamford.org. We're continuing on in the book of Mark. Last week we were in Mark 13. This week we're going to be in Mark chapter 12. We're backpedaling a little bit. So uh, if you want to take out your Bibles or they're physical, you got them on your phone, your tablet, whatever, go ahead and take them out. Flip over to... Uh, to Mark 12, we're going to start cruising. Uh, but while you're doing that, I want to t- talk a little bit where we're at uh, as, a, as a culture in our, in our world, maybe more specifically the, uh, the good old U.S. of A. Because I grew up in a generation, and many of you grew up in a generation as well, where our parents, everybody, society just said, you can be whatever it is that you want to be. If you put your mind to it, you work hard enough, you believe in yourself enough you will be able to, to achieve whatever it is that, uh, that you want to, want to achieve, which I think, I think for the most part, that's a, that's a real good sentiment. Right? Like I tell my kids on a regular basis, hey, you want to do that? Yeah, you need to apply yourself. You need to do all that stuff. But I, I just want to take you back to me in third grade for a second. Um, and and I, I, I have never shared this story, and I only know that because I haven't even shared this story with my wife, I don't think, um, because I want wanted her to like me. Um, and so um, in third grade, when I was nine years old, uh, there was a six-month period in my life where I wanted nothing more than to be a professional breakdancer. <laughs> that was my dream in life, is to be a professional. And, and that, it's, my, it's my secret shame. But the reason is there was a popular show on Nickelodeon, and, and this is a deep dive. Like, this is a deep 90s dive. So if you weren't a 90s kid, you may be a 90s kid. But there was a show on Nickelodeon called Roundhouse. Does anybody remember the show Roundhouse? Cool, like four of you. Okay, awesome. So the show around, and largely it was like this sketch comedy show, but for kids, right? Like think Saturday Night Live, but, but for kids. And so I don't remember any of the sketches. I really don't. The only thing that I really cared about was the end of the show, someone would come up and say, reprise the theme song and roll the credits. And they would roll the credits and there was this theme song that came and then there would just be like this dance that like just spontaneously broke out, right? I'm sure they didn't rehearse at all. And I'm sitting there as a nine-year-old thinking, I can do that. Like, that's no problem, right? Like, like I, I can 100% do that. Just a little bit of practice. If I believe in myself, there'll be no problem. I can, I can achieve that. And so I would always like head into my room at that point and turn on some music and just like do my best to like be a professional break dancer. And, uh, and unfortunately for me, but fortunately for all of you. I tried my hardest, but no matter how hard I tried, there was nothing I could do to become a better dancer, short of asking my mom and dad to enroll me in a dance class. It didn't happen. I know some of you are like, did you get No, no, uh, I didn't. Uh, I did not do. And I am thankful that God was looking out for all of us in that moment. But but I just believed I can do that. Like I can just achieve that. And really, like I don't have the rhythm, I don't have the skills, I don't have the body awareness to be able to do something like that, right? But I just believe I can do this. So then fast forward a couple years, right? So I'm in sixth grade at that point and Barry Bonds is hitting monster home runs into San Francisco Bay. And so I think to myself, I'm just watching him, right? I mean, absolutely ridiculous. I'm like, I can do that. I can be that guy, right? Little bit of hand-eye coordination, little bit of steroids, I can be that guy. (laughs) right? Dodger fans, I did not admit to that. So that being said, right, so there was a season in my life that I ate, I breathed, I lived baseball. That's all I wanted to do was just baseball in junior high up into high school. Like I thought to myself, I can, I can be the greatest 
hitter to ever walk the face of the earth. Fast forward to my sophomore year of high school and uh, my baseball career ended as a 5'7 sophomore who was lucky if I could hit it out of the infield because I just simply wasn't built the way that Barry Bonds is built. To be fair, Barry Bonds in his latter years was not built the way that Barry Bonds was built. But still, like I just was not built that way. I couldn't achieve it no matter how hard I tried, no matter how hard like I believed in myself. I was just simply too small to do so, but in my head, I could believe it, right? Even today, as, as we're sitting here, I think many of us in this room think we can do it all. If I just apply myself, if I can just add one more thing, if I could try just a little bit harder, I can, I can achieve whatever it is that I want to do in order to get done whatever it is that I want to get done, right? And for many of us, this manifests itself when we're thinking about maybe our finances, Maybe our houses or our jobs or whatever, right? Like oftentimes we'll sit there and watch shows where Joanna Gaines is decorating the most beautiful home in the entire world while her husband Chip is like, yep, we can move that wall. And then 30 minutes later, the house is beautiful, right? And you're thinking to yourself, I could do that. No problem. And so then we go to Home Depot. I say we loosely. I go to Home Depot, right? And we buy the things. And 30 minutes later, I'm into the project. I'm like, this isn't beautiful. This is really, really hard. And I don't think, regardless of how hard I believe, that I can actually achieve this very thing. But we think that, right? We assume, I, I, can, I can do that. That's not, that's not that hard to do. And then we leave our homes and we go to work and we think, if I try a little harder and if I just, if I just believe in myself that I can make it to the top of this corporate ladder. And then even we think about like our spiritual lives and assume that we can be the most learned, maybe most spiritual person in the entire world if we just try just a little bit harder to do those things. And maybe I can be like the best parent if I just try a little harder. And pretty soon we're looking at our lives that are completely and totally full of activities, completely and totally full of to-do lists and stress. And we have ended up giving 80% of ourselves towards everything that we are doing because there's simply not enough time in the day to get all of our goals done. Rather than giving the, the 100% towards, towards very specific things that would be required to be considered the greatest, the best, the most achieved, the most learned, the most well-read, the closest to God, or whatever it else it is that we think that we can accomplish. As large as we aren't fully and totally committed. Think about your life right now. In what area of your life are you currently dropping the ball? Welcome to, welcome to church, everybody. I know it's very, very encouraging. Where are you blowing it right now? Where are you, and if you don't know, ask your spouse, because there's type A's in the room that you're like, I've got a list of areas where I'm dropping the ball right now. I can name them for you. And there's type B's in the room. It's like, what ball? I don't drop. There's no, there's a ball that I should be playing with <laughs> right now. Right? But what area of your life maybe are you, are you dropping dropping the ball, and, and, and you had said to yourself, you know, I'm going to be committed to this. I'm going to be completely and totally committed to this, but at the end of the day, maybe at best, you're giving 80%. How's that New Year's resolution coming for you? So today, we're going to take a look at a very short passage. It's in Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 41, where a woman has given her everything to the Lord. Let's read it together. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. And many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came, came and put in two very small copper coins worth, worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had 
to live on. I think the first thing I want everyone to understand with this story is there is so much more here than simply a story about tithing. Okay, so if you're here and you're all, you're, you're hearing this story and all you're hearing is that church wants my money, don't, don't tune out because this is bigger than church wants, wants your money. But with that disclaimer, I do want you to understand that you aren't wrong. Jesus wants your money. Jesus wants all of your money, but we'll get to that in a few minutes. So in verses 41 and 42, we see Jesus and his disciples. They come and they sit down in this synagogue, right? They come and sit down in the temple across from where people are going to drop their offerings. It would be the equivalent of like the back row, like flipping your chair around and just staring at our black boxes in the back and just like kind of watching as people are dropping their tithe in there. I don't know if it was normal for people to do this back in the day. Like, I'm just going to sit and watch people drop their tithes and offerings in here. But here, it would be very, very uncomfortable, right? And like, oh, they gave. Oh, wow, they just walked past that box altogether, right? You know, whatever it may be. It would make us feel probably, probably a little bit, a little bit uncomfortable. But the treasury receptacles, specifically at the temple, were made of metal, and they're kind of shaped like a trumpet. And at the time, money, there was no paper money, right? Everything was coin. Everything was like actual precious metal, right? And so the smaller the coin, the smaller the denomination because there, there was less of it, less of it there. And so when you dropped in a small amount, it would make a small noise, right? Especially lighter coins, different things that would make a small noise. And obviously the bigger coins would make a larger noise. And obviously the more coins thrown in, the more noise that they would make. So what we can kind of gather from this is that people kind of knew how much others were giving. And there were some instances where people were doing their best to make sure other people knew how much they were giving, especially the priests who would kind of be supervising this thing. They would notice, they would be impressed, like, wow, that sounded like a gold coin you dropped in there, real heavy, big clunk, right? So that's kind of, kind of the understanding that we have here. Other translations of the same, same passage, Jesus watched how others were putting it into the treasury. It says he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the, how the people were putting money into the treasury. Okay, so slightly different take there. And I don't think Jesus is, is impressed here by the amounts that the people were giving, Jesus is more interested in the manner in which people gave. I think that's really what's going on. Are we more interested in people knowing that we gave or are we more interested in giving in general? Like, does it matter that we let people know that we give, right? Because we're all okay talking about our finances with the government during tax time, but we're definitely not okay talking with other people about giving outside of that. Or like, like where is that line? It's actually a really interesting question in the age of social media. This is why I say this. Anybody heard, it's a famous YouTuber by a guy by the name of Mr. Beast. Any, anybody know who Mr. Beast is? Okay, give me, okay. So the reason his name is Mr. Beast is because he named his channel when he was 13 years old and he was like, that sounds cool. Like that's the end of that story for Mr. Beast. So if anybody's like, that's satanic, it's not. He was a teenager when he named it, okay? So his name is Mr. Beast and Mr. Beast has a massive following. We're talking 130 million plus subscribers as of January. Okay, that means he is the fourth most subscribed to YouTube channel in the entire world. Okay? This guy has a, a massive net worth as well. He's around, worth around $140 million, all of which comes from the YouTube videos. So if you don't speak YouTube, okay, what happens is, is the more subscribers that you get, the more people who subscribe to your channel, okay, they, they are going to be notified when a video, when you make a video of some sort. 
And so they go to your video, they watch your video, they watch the commercials that come on during your video, not commercials, they're not called commercials, ads that come on during the video. And the more people that see your ads and the more people that click on those ads, the more money goes into your pocket, right? Because you are the revenue stream for them. So this guy has amassed over $140 million of YouTube, or, or $140 million, million total. So if your kid or your grandkid comes to you and says, I want to be a YouTuber and they're good at it, let them, okay? Anyway, so he gets a cut of all of those ads, okay? Uh, some, some person actually asked him to buy his channel. I said, I want to buy your channel for, from you for $1 billion, billion with a B. And he was like, no, I think my channel is more than that. Okay, so this guy's worth, worth quite a bit of money. But regardless, the type of video he does is just to give away absurd amounts of money. Like that's his goal is I'm just going to give away absurd amounts of money. And so it, it's like the, the old school, go put your hand on a car and the last person to have their hand on a car gets the car. So he did that with a Tesla. He's done it with like other like high-end cars and that sort of thing. But last year, he, he went above and beyond. Last year, he said, okay, we're going to get 10 people. All of you can put your hand on this private jet worth $2.5 million. The last person to take their hand off this jet gets the jet, right? I'm like, I'll cut my hand off and glue it to that jet for $2.5 million. So he does these things, but the issue is he does these things, and then he gets revenue from the clicks, okay? So he's helping people out. He's giving away massive amounts of money, but then he's making tons of money from those clicks. So far, not a problem. However, recently culture has actually tried to cancel him because he did a video where he found a thousand people who were legally blind because of cataracts. They have cataracts, they can't see, and they can't afford the cataract surgery. So these are people who, who can't drive, they've lost their independence, they're legally blind, there's some young kids in, the, uh, in there as well. And so Mr. Beast is like, you know what? I'm gonna pay for the entire thing. The cataract surgery costs like 10 grand for each person and he foot the entire bill for all thousand people where he quote, cured blindness for a thousand people. The issue becomes is he started making money off of this because he obviously filmed everything. He filmed the interviews. He filmed these, these different surgeries that were, that were going on. So we have this weird cross section here of people who got their sight back. Mr. Beast paid for the entire thing, but the world is angry because he showed everyone what he did. So in this scenario, what is better, him not doing it at all or him doing it, filming it, and making a profit off of it? Give me a sec. Take 10 seconds. Person sitting next to you, person you came with, what's better, him not doing it or him making money off of it? Ready, go. You're allowed to talk in church right now. Go ahead. You guys can, uh, can settle that, that moral conundrum over lunch. But it goes back to the original question, right? It goes back to the is a, is a original question. Is it bad for people to know how it is that you are giving and serving? Is it bad for other people, people to know that? But just know, like in this scenario, Jesus isn't condemning people for giving large amounts of money. There's nothing in this, in this whole text that talks about, oh, those people were terrible for giving lots of money or anything like that, even though some of them were doing it for show. Jesus is watching all of this take place. He's literally physically there in the temple watching all of this stuff take place. Now, what do we know about God? What do we know about Jesus? Well, Jesus is omniscient. He's omnipresent, right? And so because of that, Jesus is here watching us drop our tithes and offerings in the same place. Jesus is here watching us serve. Jesus is here watching us do all of those different things. His spirit is here. God is here. All of those different things. So he is deity. He is watching both what we give as well as how it is that we give. So the widow would have been exempt 
from giving in this, in this instance. Okay, Jewish tradition, Jewish law, they would have said, you know what, no, you don't have to give. Everything she had is worth only a fraction of a penny. How do you tithe on a fraction of a penny? What's 10% of a penny? Worthless is what it is, right? Like that's automatically what we would say. So how do you tithe? It looks like she wasn't there because she had to be. She was there because she knew God wanted her to be there. And when it became clear to her that God was prompting her to go to the treasury, she could have tried to justify the not giving by thinking, I need this much more than they do. And no one would have faulted her. No one. We have this, we have this poor widow. My measly amount of money won't matter, won't matter anyway. I'm keeping it. Or since she had two coins, right? Often, like, like in my head, I'm just like, well, just keep one. Keep one coin. Give the other. Like that's still 50%. Like you're killing it in the tithe game. Right? Give one, keep, keep the other. Don't give both. And under normal circumstances, no one would have disagreed with her, but she knew what God wanted her to do in that point. And although I'm sure it wasn't easy, she was obedient to what God was, was calling her to, to, to do. So this brings up Jesus' teaching point then in verse 43, where we see the difference between giving out of abundance versus giving sacrificially. And this is the teaching point that Jesus is largely going towards here. Right? A lot of people make the mistake of thinking the larger the offering, the larger the heart. Like, wow, they gave this massive sum of money. And Jesus tells them that although everyone else gave a larger amount of money, this poor widow is actually given the most proportionally. Right? Two people can give a dollar. Same amount, different hearts. One who's made $10 are given 10%, showing more love, devotion, and trust than the other who's made $100 and still giving a dollar. It's the size of the heart that matters, not the size of the gift. 2 Corinthians uh, uh, talks about this. 2 Corinthians 8.12, it's not on the screen, but it says, For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Right? So that gift is acceptable regardless of size, depending on what it is that they actually have. No offering is insignificant. If it's giving lovingly, willingly, obediently, like if your tithe is only a dollar, that's okay. A little bit in the, is a lot in the hands of God. And the little boy brought a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish to Jesus, and he turned it into meals for, most people would agree, over like 20,000 people. Like that's, that's a lot. And he brought his sack lunch. And that was largely it. Like, unfortunately, though, many people give what's, what's comfortable, not necessarily what is, what is challenging. They look and say, like, we can't afford to give. It doesn't fit within our budget necessarily. Sometimes the reason why we say we can't afford things or we say we can't afford to give because when it comes to our finances, we don't start with God. We pay our bills. We, we do the stuff that we want to work. And then at the end of everything, when everything is left at the end, then we'll give. And Jesus is saying here that God should be first. God should not be last. There's an old saying that I'm sure thousands of pastors have said before. The saying goes, give God what is right, not what is left. Oh, that was kind of cool. But do we have faith and trust to do that is the question. Like that, that becomes the question. Do we trust God enough? The greater offering is one that might cause us to actually have to forsake some luxuries, forsake a lifestyle maybe that we, uh, we are hoping for. But the greater offering will challenge us to trust God to make all things work out. Everything should be able to work out. And, and I know all of this is like wrapped up in money and that sort of thing. We're talking about giving as a whole, right? Yesterday we had our, uh, like I said, we had our men's, our men's work day. And I get it. 
Man, there are some guys there who are retired and they're like, I had nothing on my, on my list of things to do today except go play golf and take a nap at some point. And they're giving out of abundance of their time. Right? They're giving out of abundance because they're like, hey, I don't got a bunch of little kids running around at home. I don't have that issue. But man, there are other guys out there who they got a bunch of young kids at home. They got four kids at home and they're up on a lift for four plus hours yesterday. While mom's trying to like manage everything and handle everything. It's like, hey, I don't got a lot of time, but the time I give, I'm going to go donate. I'm going to give that away to the kingdom. I'm going to give that away to God, right? So it's easy for us to like pigeonhole it into like the, the money and the giving and that sort of thing. But think outside of that. Think about this, this idea even, even of service. Because in verse 44, it actually tells us she, she gave all she had to live on. She left herself with zero means at this point, which means she put herself in a position to have to completely rely on God in that point, right? And it's one thing to be, to be in this position when it happens beyond our control, right? We're like, I got nothing else to live on. It's tax season. My taxes were $5,000 more than I thought they were going to be. Man, this is going to be really tight. I don't know how it is that we're going to make it. So it's one thing to do that when you weren't expecting. It's a whole nother level of faith to be like, this is what I have to give on, and I'm giving it to God. No one is demanding it. I am giving it out of obedience to the Lord. Why? Because I'm committed to him. I'm going to give this away. So it's one thing when it happens beyond your control, but to know what you're about to do will put you in the position is something else entirely. And most of us largely wouldn't do it. Most of us would probably say, you're out of your mind to leave yourselves no means. And this woman, she takes this massive leap of faith. And we don't know the rest of the story. We don't know how the story turns out, right? But I'm going to venture to say that she was probably taken care of. Matthew 6, it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I'm sure she was blessed afterwards. And I don't know if it was, like, financially blessed. I'm not saying that because she gave her two copper coins that, like, God filled up her bank account and healed a sickness that she may or may not have had and, like, brought her husband back from the grave or anything like that. The Bible promises that nowhere. The Bible does not ever say, hey, give of your money and you are going to be healthy, wealthy, and blessed. Never says that. You know, the Bible does call us to continue to be obedient. She chose not to worry about what she was going to eat. She chose not to worry about what it is she was going to wear once the rag she was probably wearing wore out. She entrusted her needs to the Lord. And I think it's safe to say that she was in turn blessed by that. Matthew Henry's commentary, he's famous commentary says Christ commended her willingness to part with what little she had for the glory of God which proceeded from a belief of and a dependence upon God's providence to take care of her Jehovah Jireh the Lord will provide and hear me I'm not saying again that she was blessed because of the fact that she gave but I also want you to understand that that beyond that we may wonder does that mean that Jesus today like as I'm sitting here, wants me to empty my wallet into those black boxes in the back. If it's loose change, please don't. It's really hard to pull the loose change out. I was just kidding. Whatever you want to give is fine. Um, but no, that's not what this is saying. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying at all. I don't think the example of this poor widow is now the standard for all of his followers. If it was a standard for all of his followers, Jesus would have been very explicit in saying that. With that said, though, I think a valid question is, what if Jesus asked us to do what she did? I think that's where we need to put ourselves, right? He asked the rich young ruler to sell all of his possessions. 
He comes to Jesus, right? We talked about this like six weeks ago, five weeks ago, something like that. He comes to Jesus. And he's like, Jesus, teacher, tell me what it is I have to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus is like, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. And he left sad because he knew he couldn't do it. So Jesus asked him, like, hey, give, give everything that you have. And it's difficult Difficult to live out. In Luke 14, 33, it talks about that anyone who doesn't give up everything he has can't be Jesus' disciple. So in context, Jesus wants us to give up control of our lives for the sake of doing his will in, in anything and everything. And this isn't easy to live out. Especially in, in the lives that we lead and the craziness of trying to accomplish everything. Right, Because if we just try a little harder, if we just add a little bit more to our play, but this is what we signed up for. When, when we said yes to Jesus, it was complete and total submission to Christ. Jesus said we, we need to put him first. He said we need, to, we need to take up our cross and we need to follow him. We need to be willing to give up anything we have. We need to be willing to, to loosen our grip on our possessions, our dreams, our job opportunities, our perfect family, our beautiful houses in the event of Jesus having his way in our hearts. That's what we're called to. And if what we have is getting in the way of our devotion to him, then Jesus will challenge us to part with it. He will. Right, for the rich young ruler, it's his possessions. Jesus challenged him to free himself from the thing that stood in the way. Unfortunately, he went away without being willing to do so. Same challenge wasn't presented to the poor widow, but I still do believe this is a, a test for her. And I don't think she came up with the idea to give all she had on her own. I think Holy Spirit put the thought in her mind. She had a choice whether she was going to act on those things or not. She was obedient, and Jesus recognized her for it. Right? Even think back to the Old Testament. And if you've read the Old Testament or even just the book of Genesis, it's past February, so you all in your year Bible and your reading plan should be past Genesis by this point, right? So, but in the Old Testament, God commands Abraham to go kill his son as an act of devotion to God, an act of obedience to God. Now, if you know anything about Abraham, you know anything about Abraham's wife, man, they, they were barren. They couldn't have kids. And they cry out to God on a regular basis, like, God, give us a child. Give us a child. So much so they were disobedient to God in order to be able to achieve fatherhood and motherhood at that point. And so God's like, you know what, Abraham? Once you hit 90 plus years old, I'll give you a kid. Which, by the way, is really mean. <laughs> I feel 90 most days with the amount of kids in our house. But, but... After 90 plus years, God gives Abraham and his wife a kid. And then after that, God's like, hey, you know that kid that you waited for? That kid that I promised you? That kid that you desired with all of your heart? I want you to take that kid. I want you to hike up a mountain. I want you to kill him. And what did, Ab what did Abraham do? And he packed his son, or he packed his bag. Not his son. That's later. He packed his bag got his son, and started hiking. And every time Isaac asked, where is the sacrifice? Where, like, where is the sacrifice? Abraham simply replied, God will provide. Like, can you imagine being Isaac at this point? Like, this young boy, he's old enough to understand that they need to make a sacrifice to God. Like, at what point did he realize he's the sacrifice? Like, at what point is that? It's when, like, they pack their bag and they're like, hey, that's weird. We got everything we need except the thing that we're going to make a sacrifice to. 
Wonder, wonder what the sacrifice is. Was it at that point? Was it they were hiking and God's, or his dad is like, God will provide, don't worry about it. I was like, okay, God's gonna provide. Was it when they were building the altar and setting sticks and rocks down on the altar for the burnt sacrifice eventually? Like, is that, is that when he realized or it was, was it when like his dad grabbed him and bound him and tied his hands and put him on the altar? Like, is that when he realized that, oh wait, I'm the sacrifice of the entire thing? Or was it when his dad, as, as Isaac is laying there and Abraham probably with tears in his eyes, raises a knife above his head and God says, stop? Is that when? He realizes he is the sacrifice. And in that moment, Isaac is probably thinking to myself, this is obedience to God. And I can't even talk about that without even like putting myself in that position, right? With my own kids. And I'm like, it's not happening. Not in a thousand years. It's not happening. But complete and total devotion to God in that moment. That's where the, the rubber meets the road when it comes to that devotion, our willingness to follow God regardless of what it is he asks us to do. And it may or may not come with blessing afterward. And God didn't say he was going to bless Abraham once he killed Isaac. He said, go kill Isaac. Because it's impossible to outgive our massive, sovereign, incredible God. It's absolutely impossible. Why? Because God didn't withhold his one and only precious, perfect, blameless son from us. He offered him to us. Jesus offered his precious life to us for forgiveness. He didn't hold back in that moment. But regardless of that, we consistently still hold back from him, trying to fit him into our schedules, trying to fit him into our budget, trying to fit him into our drive and our desire for success. The poor widow gave more than just all she had financially. She gave all of herself. The phrase all she had to live on in the original Greek is actually understood to mean she gave her whole life. Not all she had to live on. She gave her whole life. And this morning, that's the most important thing for us to be able to consider. It's not just what we have, have we given of our resources, but have we given of ourselves. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I preached about it before a couple weeks ago, but I'll tell you what, man, it's my favorite verse for a reason. It won't be on the screen, but it says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What's our offering to God? Our bodies, our lives, everything is the Lord's because of God's mercy. Because he gave me his all, because Jesus sacrificed his life for me, I need to give my all for him. And so now I offer myself, I offer my possessions, I offer everything I have for God's purposes, whatever they may be. I choose to live by a new pattern. I choose to live out a new mindset. A.W. Tozer, he's a famous theologian. If you want to get confused, read some Tozer. But this is what he says. He says, not by its size is my gift judged, but by how much of me there is in it. No man gives it all until he has given all. No man gives anything acceptable to God until he has first given himself in love and sacrifice. So the question then becomes, have you given everything to Jesus? 
Because the story gets actually kind of fun. Because I didn't tell you this, but Jesus is actually juxtaposing this story to what's going on in verses 38 through 40. This is what it says. It says, as he taught, Jesus said, so Jesus is teaching here. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. Be aware. Jesus is teaching in their home. It'd be like someone coming in here, preaching on our stage and saying, be careful of Pastor Peter and Pastor Jeff. That's what Jesus is doing here. He says, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. Verse 40, they devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Did you catch it? These people who are supposed to get it, these people who are supposed to be completely and totally obedient, they're not protecting widows. They're milking them for all they're worth. And then we have this widow who shows up in verse 41 who's dropping two little copper coins in the back in complete and total obedience to God. Jesus is giving this contrast here. And he points to the elaborateness of, of the teachers of the law, right? They look prominent. They appear righteous with their flowing robes and important seats in the synagogue, right? But they take advantage of these widows, like the one you see coming into the treasury in verse 41. So Jesus, he kind of highlights the sacrifice, and he's calling attention to the shortcomings of the religious leaders, the people who should know better already. The religious leaders are concerned with, ta with taking, while the poor widow is focused simply on giving. When it says in verse 40 that the, they devour widows' houses, okay, they're not just talking about a literal home. They're not just like, oh, they moved into their house. They're talking about everything that they are worth, everything of value inside of that home, right? That same commentary I read from earlier said, they devour widows' houses, get their estates into their hands, and then by some trick or other, make them their own, or they live upon them, and they eat up what they have, and widows are an easy prey to them because they're apt to be deluded by their pretenses. They're impressed by them. Oh, the, the religious leaders are at, at my house, so for a show, they make long, chair, long prayers, perhaps long prayers with the widows when they're in sorrow, they're sad. And so because of that, I'm going to come comfort this widow at this point because she's, she's in a place of vulnerability. And once they can get into a place of vulnerability, they can, they can not only give them pity, but they can be very pious at the same time and just kind of work and weasel their way into making sure that they can get everything that they possibly can from them. And so because of that, they ingratiate themselves with those widows and get their money and effects into their own hands. These are the religious leaders. These are the people who are said to be the most obedient people to the Lord. Instead of taking advantage of those widows, they should have been helping them. But that's honestly where greed can take you, right? That's where greed can take you. That's where our desire to be the best at everything, our desire to achieve everything, to be in it for ourselves, largely that's, that's where it takes us. We want more and more and more, and we don't care who we have to hurt in order to get it. Right? Greed and the love of money and accomplishment, largely it desensitizes us to the needs and hurts of others, and our only concern is gratifying self. How can I be the best? How can I accomplish more? How can I do more? As long as I have what I want, that's all that matters. And then we get to compare that with the attitude and behavior of the poor widow, and we see a very stark contrast. 
So I don't know what it is for you today. I don't know where you're giving your 80%. But that's not what God is after. I know some of you are like, 80%, man, B minus. That's better than I did in school. I get it. I was there. But that's not what God is offer, after. God wants your entire life, every single part of you, not just the part that comes here on Sunday or shows up on Wednesdays or your 10% to the penny offering that you're giving to the Lord. God wants all of your life so he can use you with the gifts and talents that the, the Holy Spirit has given you to accomplish more in this life than a pretty house and a well-paying job. God wants to make himself known through you. Church, think about what it would look like if we actually dedicated our lives to full submission to Christ rather than giving that 80% to him. And like I said, that may be on a good day. Maybe for some of us, it's simply giving more than our Sunday mornings to him and then returning to however it is that we want to live. But Jesus wants your life. Jesus wants your job. He wants your family. He wants your money. He wants all of it. So if you're here this morning, you think, man, the church just wants your money. No, I don't. Jesus really does, though. And not just your money, every single piece of you. And not because he needs it. He doesn't, he can do whatever he wants, but because he created you in such a way to be more at peace and more full of his love and more full of his image than anything else in all of creation could ever afford you. Jesus wants to make himself known. And the only way that he is going to be known through us is if we are completely and totally obedient to him. Amen, church? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the poor widow, God. And I know she had no clue that 2,000 years later we were going to be talking about the example that she set for us in obedience, but, Father, you did. And so thank you for your word and including that. And, Father, I just pray that we would have the obedience of a poor widow. That we wouldn't be like the teachers of the law. We wouldn't be more interested in people knowing what it is that we gave or people understanding how much time that we gave up or anything like that. But we'd be simply more interested in obedience to you. And God, sometimes obedience means, means giving more financially. Sometimes it means serving for the first time in years or maybe ever. Sometimes it means setting your alarm 30 minutes earlier and trusting in you that you're going to get us enough energy and caffeine to make it through the day. But God, I pray that we would be a church who is devoted to you and full submission to you and full submission to your son your word, your spirit, all of it, God. That we would be obedient believers. And with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, maybe you're here and you're like, I, I've never submitted myself to God ever. I've never made a profession of faith. But hearing that God gave his son for me, and I can live for him. So if that's you this morning and you do want to make a profession of faith, you can simply Pray along with me in the quietness of your hearts and we say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, that I have fallen short. But B, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for me and give me what I can never give back, which is eternity with you.
I believe that, Father. And C, I choose to follow you every single day. That that choice wouldn't be 50, 60, 70, 80%. God, that I would choose to submit my entire life, my entire calendar, my entire pocketbook, my family, my house, my job, everything. I would give that to you, Father, and live obediently. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.